This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast 47. Uh, with me in Sweden, Johan Edebo. Hi, Johan. Uh, in in uh, New Delhi, uh, Varun Mathur. Hi, Varun. Hello. Hiroyuki Hamada in New York. Um, hi, hi, Hiroyuki. Hi. And, um, and Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hi, Corey. Hey, John. Hi, guys. Um, so, uh, you know, there's a there's an enormous amount to talk about, and um, uh, I I almost don't quite know where to begin. So I turn it over to you guys, actually, um, with with uh, whoever wants to begin this. We've we're all aware of certain things um, that need discussing. So. Do you want Did you to, want to, to begin, Corey? <laughs> Corey, you start. Okay. okay. Yeah. So earlier this week, I was um, looking up because of all the reinfections amongst the vaccinated. I've seen a little bit of chat amongst those who have been censored for media, um, such as, um, what's his name? Um, Robert Malone, um, one of the inventors of mRNA. Anyway, speaking a lot about ADE, antibody dependent enhancement. And um, specifically, I was looking at this paper, this nature paper. Um, I'm not sure what year it was, maybe 2020, I think. Um, anyway, one of the hurdles that was um, spoken about quite a lot initially before the vaccine, before the, what are they, the injections were rolled out, experimental injections was that um, antibody dependent enhancement, which is called ADE. Um, it can increase the severity of multiple viral infections, including other respiratory viruses, such as respiratory, this is hard to say, syncytial virus. And that's just called, that just goes by the, um, acronym RSV and measles. And then I, um, I, I just wanted to remind myself exactly what that was, RSV. And so then sort of accidentally, I was looking that up and I noticed a lot of mainstream media um, chatter about RSV. And it looked a lot like what we saw initially for COVID, um, you know, dying children, emergency hospital, emergency rooms overflowing. Um, Australia, I found a paper, a Canadian paper, um, talking about it, expect, you know, a surge, I, um, CDC warning um, went out about it. Like just basically, it looked just like what we saw with COVID at the beginning. And so <laughs> I looked at this for a few hours and I was thinking, what's going on? You know, is it and there was a big one in BBC, like all over the place. And then I started um, chatting, chatting with you guys. Then, then I came across um, a doctor who had said she had just seen a, a case of RSV. And I saw a response from another doctor. And I don't remember his name, but I remember um, I liked the comment and looked it up. And it just made my heart sink. And it was a link to Moderna who actually has, a, has approval from the FDA for fast tracking a vaccine 
for RSV. Mm -hmm. RSV is one of the, is the most common, one of the most, if not the most common illness in the world, and most children have it by the time they're two, like it presents itself as a common cold. Okay, so there's no um, vaccine for it. There never has been. It's just um, another way that children build up their immune system, their immune, um, you know, their natural protection. Um, so anyway, I, my heart sort of sank. I felt sick when I saw that Moderna actually presented this to their investors back in April. It's, like I said, it's already been fast tracked. And then um, I don't know if it was myself or Johan, we looked it up on the, did a Google search as we know that you know, Google plays a key part in sort of shaping the narrative on these things. Um, and wow, I mean, it's just, you can just see it almost happening in real time. We can see this, at least in my opinion, this is the next chapter of the war on that scene, which as we know is a war on humanity. Um, so anyway, maybe I'll hand it off to um, Johan to add some commentary about this. Yeah, I just before Johan starts, I I just wanted to mention because I have a blog post that will probably be out tomorrow if if not tonight and one of the things it's about is mental illness. Um and in particular schizophrenia, bipolar, um clinical depression, the the sort of the most severe and and um uh, there, there was an, uh, billions of dollars poured into to gene research um, to uh, detect uh, a gene, a causal, um, you know, smoking gun that could could be targeted. Uh, it's all very Nazi-like, but but the point of this, without going into a lot of detail, is no, nothing was ever achieved. There was nothing found. There was you know, 30 years and billions of dollars poured into a project uh, that that yielded almost no results. And it's it kind of mirrors the the vaccine story here with um, because because what the mental health industry did was simply start to pathologize ever more pathologize normal states of consciousness. Um, they just kept widening the definition of abnormal, and uh, uh, and that sort of solved the the bottom line for them in terms of in in terms of economics. But but um, you know the 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 idea of discovering genes uh, that cause various uh, you know. In their in quotation marks abnormal behavior ended up being a, a complete bust. Anyway, Johan. I think Corey is first in line, but on her discussion, I just I just wanted to, to raise the issue of, of the, the rationale behind vaccinating against well an almost universally present virus that is uh, well that, that everyone gets gets very early. I mean the the it's hard to see the the use of such a vaccination, especially since it's it's almost certainly harmless in every each and every case. Um, but did you want to continue, Corey? 
Um, no, I'd like you to continue. I just wanted to add for our listeners, I wanted to make it really, really clear that this, what I would call phase two of um, war on virus, war on humanity is directly um, targeting the children, right? This is the youth demographic. Now this is age newborn to 12 that um, they're having a difficult time with because most um, people and most doctors understand, um, even though there's a huge push behind it still for COVID vaccine, most people, there's a lot of resistance knowing that children do not get sick from this. They're not at risk mm. from COVID. They're not at high risk of death um, unless, you know, they have a underlying condition such as leukemia. Um, there's lots of information about this out there, um, in particular, Marty McCurry from, or McCurry, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, from Johns Hopkins has been speaking out quite a bit about it. Um, so yeah, this is um, a targeted um, campaign now. This They're coming now after the kid, after the children, after the babies, after the children. And again, I just want to emphasize how important these things are to um, creating healthy, strong immune systems, mm-hmm. right? As, as babies, as infants, as we grow. So this really actually is a campaign to um, weaken, or not just a campaign, it's a business model, right? To um, actually, um, I don't know if I, I, I won't say right now, I won't go so far as to say destroy our immune systems, but definitely um, make them dependent on pharmaceutical, um, you know, assistance. I mean, it's a whole part of the whole fourth industrial revolution reset, right? As you were talking about John going into, this is like the launching pad into the bioengineering economy, right? And that also ties into what we see now, the passport surveillance, um, passports, which is a part of surveillance, um, data economy, it's all really, really coming together and rolling out really, really quickly. Yeah. Uh, Johan. Yeah, I'm just thinking that there was an argument early on in the in the COVID event discussion that, that as to the effect that, that uh, the restrictions would uh, undermine and, and uh, undermine the, the, the immune systems, especially of, of uh, small children and, and young children. And assuming that that, that that is the case, when well, then, then you would perhaps expect to see something like this this uh, belated rise in or, or this recent rise in in these kinds of infections and if you have if it's in your interest to to promote some kind of mass vaccination th- then why not just use this uh, this emergent situation and then fast track another kind of, of of another one of these pharmaceuticals you want to get out to the market that was just a, a quick remark <clears throat> right um yeah, I mean, I think I think the other um, the other aspect of this, and we've all talked about this, uh, is is uh, you know we see massive protests in France and elsewhere. Um, there have been protests in a, in a number of countries, a number of countries in Europe and elsewhere, um, and and. Uh, and yet, you know, so we're seeing this class separation, essentially, in terms of, of who is skeptical, <clears throat> who is resistant, and who is not. Um, and and I, I still remain kind of um, just astonished 
at um, all the leftist publications that almost all of them off the top of my head from from, you know, Counterpunch to Jacobin to Black Agenda Report to um, World Socialist website. Um, all of them are pro-lockdown. <clears throat> all of them are are basically supportive of, of vaccine passport. I mean, Jacobin was enthusiastically, um, um, uh, you know, calling for for the passport that it was absolutely essential to have it. Um, and and you know, I <laughs> I confess that I have I have no explanation for this. I I simply it's where you know i my brain freezes because i i i can't understand people who who are aware of uh the us for example us history um you know government malfeasance dishonesty um corruption uh the entire imperialist project of the united states and yet they are they want um, <clears throat> further surveillance, monitoring, restrictions for crossing borders, um, all of these things that, that one would assume they would recognize as, as extremely dangerous, and, and yet they don't. And um, so, yeah, Johan. I have a kind of musing on these issues uh, that begins with a reflection on epistemology that's about four minutes. I, I could do that now, or you could do. We could have it um, later. You no, know, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Sure. You can always interrupt the time. So, I was uh, I was meeting with this uh, this uh, three dog uh, guy and and his wife, a couple of listeners of our pod yesterday and today actually, uh, really great uh, bright people, and and we talked about how this this deference to authority has in some sense supplanted critical thinking and I, I think perhaps it's not in this this very naive and stereotypical manner that, that you would think but I, I feel it's rather the case that people kind of use this recent comparison to actually ascertain which uh, of the available authorities has the most honor points or something like that so so people think about how to people think quite critically about whom to surrender their critical thinking to in some sense, I think. And if, if that, if we entertain the hypothesis, it contrasts very much with not only the classical Western understanding of rational thought, but also with, with almost every wisdom tradition of, uh, of cultures all over the world. Uh, because the idea is always that this um, this faculty of critical thinking, whatever you call it, however you construe it, is something that in principle gives every human being the capacity to perceive reality and infer true conclusions from what they see. And here also, incidentally, is that the root of the very idea of anything akin to democracy and human freedom and liberty, because it implies that the argument of the illiterate peasant is worth no less than the argument of the, the most knowledgeable, knowledgeable expert in the world, if the argument is valid and, and based in, in proper and relevant premises. So this is why we have science. This is why we, we value freedom of speech and of the press, because, because truth doesn't discriminate and knowledge can always be improved by, by critical and creative thought, no matter who's doing the thinking. Uh, but it's not that the expert's experience is irrelevant or useless. It's just that, uh, you know, his rational judgment is not above that of the, the plumber or the fisherman. 
because even though the, the expert has more data to build his premises, his view may be always be limited and he may miss possible conclusions that, that can be obvious to, to any guy who's ever gutted a fish. Uh, and my point is that, that we have more, more or less lost the awareness of this. People kind of do use their faculty of reason, but mainly to, to discern what the honor structure of an increasingly authoritarian society looks like rather than to get at truth as such. And the result is when, when you question the dominant narrative, the skeptical response is not like, okay, let me see your arguments, but it's something like your level of authority is so much lower than that of the, the, the emperor and his advisor. So I don't care if you show me that he is naked. That's the, the big difference. Right. And right. I think that this kind of this intersection between a resurgent culture of honor and this and erosion of suppression of critical thinking and this loss of a rooted and socially entrenched identity, that's part of the explanation of how the, the disconnect between fact and the narrative is maintained. You mentioned this book by Douglas Atkin. Uh, I think it's similar to this, these cultish aspects of adherence to brands. We, we could uh, go on with that idea if you'd like. Um, yeah, I I think that um, I mean again, you know, I have this blog post that that talks um, a lot about this because I've been thinking about it so much and and uh, I and trying to understand um, what seems to me such you know these drastic, astonishing anti-democratic decrees by these various governments uh, are, are being met with resistance in some quarters, but, but applause and, and um, agreement, especially in, so, I mean, the, the sort of the educated bourgeoisie, um, the white bourgeoisie, if we're, if we're talking about the United States, are wholeheartedly behind this and certainly the trump factor is part of it nobody i think at the beginning of this whole narrative of covid nobody wanted to be associated with the early voices of skepticism because they were all sort of trump supporters or perceived yeah. to be trump supporters and far right and so um a lot of activists i know um a lot of black activists uh, and and um, just people in general that I know, educated people, didn't were were. It was just radioactive the topic because the association was immediately, oh, you're a Trump supporter, and this was akin to being accused of you know um, child molestation or something. Mm -hmm. It was it was simply, you know, an untouchable thing. And so at the beginning, there was this silence and it allowed the narrative to gain um, a lot of momentum, a lot of traction. And, uh, and, and it, the, the, the skepticism hasn't caught up with that yet in, in, in this demographic anyway. Um, although it certainly has in the working class, I think there's just universal um, rejection uh, and you see it in the in the French protest, certainly. Um, Corey, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, this feels like at sort of the pinnacle moment, um, the foray into a collective insanity, right? Like that's how I feel. Um, facts no longer matter. Um, they're completely irrelevant. It's all being driven forward on emotion. 
And speaking of insanity, and I just want to um, share something, some insane stats here off the Government of Canada website. And then after that, I wanted to ask um, Haruyuki and Varun what's going on in New York and in, and in India. Okay, so um, today I was checking out, um, I just wanted to get the exact sentence um, verbatim. So I went, that I, that I looked at before. So I went to the government website um, to, to, I was just adding to, to some posts. Anyway, in Canada, influenza and pneumonia are ranked among the top leading causes of death in Canada. Okay, and so this is from um, July 30th, 2021, like a flu report. To date this season, 64 influenza detections have been reported. Um, now, remember, I just told you it's the top 10 leading cause of death in Canada of 38 million people. So 64 influenza detections have been reported, which is significantly lower than the past six seasons, where an average of 52,089 influenza detections were reported for the season to date. So that's insane. And then um, of that, half, almost half, 31 of these flu cases are actually from the influenza vaccine itself. And they acknowledge wow. that. 31 of the influenza detections wow. reported to date this season are known to be associated with recent live attenuated influenza vaccine receipt and do not represent community circulation of seasonal influenza, influenza viruses. Um, so anyway, and that just goes on to say these strains are attenuated that can be recovered by nasal swab in children and adults following vaccination that can produce shedding. And then if we go back to um, if indeed, if the RSV, um, you know, this building hysteria, if this is actually true in children or whether it's parents who are um, fearful now that their children have COVID, and they're taking them in and now we're counting them as RSV cases instead of COVID because we have an upcoming vaccine that we need social license to, to inject. Um, it, it lends itself to the possibility of, of these mRNA vaccines that parents have, um, have been injected with shedding onto the children and causing the RSV. You see, like I obviously I'm not a doctor, but I'm just going from what you know, um, doctors and scientists from papers and what we've been talking about. So, yeah, so I'm sort of done with that. It's just, um, I wanted to bring that up since, you know, because of the shedding, I just wanted to throw that in there that that's just another sort of um, possibility. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty astonishing. Those numbers are pretty astonishing. And, uh, you know, 58,000 to 64. Um, you know, it's comical almost. Um, yeah, Varun, Hiroyuki, um, let's hear from you guys. All right, Valo. <laughs> okay. Um, well, well, I'm basically the only guy that I know who is out in a bar or at somebody's house and talking about what's going on and everybody that I'm talking to has had the shots because they want to travel, because they want to go here, there, whatever, do something and they just basic arguments usually are, yeah, we just got to get on with life, man. How does it matter? Kind of thing. So mm -hmm. it's just, uh, it's a really, um, 
it's a very depressing state of affairs because I mean we in Delhi we went through that exact process early this year when <clears throat> I was having the same kind of conversations with people and two months later that spike hit and everybody was in hospital and now again with this Delta bullshit that's kind of starting to float around over the last few weeks and all these shots have been administered I'm presuming the same I'm, I'm presuming it's going to be the same situation again right like it's going to, it's going to end up looking exactly the same if not worse probably so that's what's going on <clears throat> um yeah it's it's um it's it's remarkable what do you know what the percentages are in india for for how many the percentage of people that are vaccinated is there any um, estimate i'll just look it up um in the meantime yeah corey go ahead no i just want to ask for an are the children being vaccinated or is it age 12 and up or what is it there i think they're open now Um, yeah, I, I, it, it, well, okay. I'm not going to launch into Hiroyuki. I know you, you're in a, <laughs> you're in a bad mood today. Talk to us here. Well, I, I'm a little feeling like a little paralyzed, um, due to, uh, many things that's, uh, unfolding. Uh, one of the things is that the, uh, New York city is introducing, uh, extremely draconian measures, um, basically, uh, prohibiting indoor activities, uh, if you're not vaccinated. And, um, um, I, uh, I'm, uh, away from the city. I am, uh, two and a half hours away from there. So, um, I can't really feel, you know, what I'm feeling is what you guys are getting from the internet uh, and the media uh, sources. And um, so I am very, very anxious to uh, really, really see uh, what the consequence uh, of this whole thing is. And um, um, at this point, I... I guess I observe um, the uh, the shaping of the narrative. Um, I think the corporate media is very, very desperate to um, uh, frame it as uh, something that's happening between the uh, big corporate parties. Um, so the uh, the protesters would be uh, labeled as uh, right wing Trump supporter, whatever th that means. Right. And, uh, uh, the other side is uh, people who are responsible, people who are trusting science and all those things. Um, but at the same time, we, of course, if you look it up, um, uh, you, I mean, you go to CDC site and you have so many contradicting uh, information. And uh, I just checked the uh, numbers from the uh, 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 vaccine uh, adverse effects um, uh, reporting site. And uh, I guess the number right now is uh, over 12,000 people dead after getting the injections. So this is um, very, very, um, interesting situation, I guess. I mean, the, the facts 
really don't matter. It's the uh, the framework of the authoritarian society, totally speaking. It's like being in a prison. Um, the rules are set by the guards and the rules of the prison. So if you don't do this or that, you're going to be in trouble. It's nothing to do with what's right or what's wrong. So, and also, I mean, we are basically treated as guilty before right. uh, being anything is done. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that's um, total um, um, uh, destruction of the uh, the assumption of the uh, the legal system. I mean, I mean, this is this is extraordinary situation, and the decrees are based on that. So we uh, were basically uh, infected. So you know, you have to follow whatever this or that, and uh, if you don't, you are criminals. You are terrorists. Uh, whatever you know, they are um, coming up with this framing and uh, so I, I am um, very concerned and also this is a, one thing I can say is that this is a great moment to actually see what capitalism does yeah. the mechanism of lies deceptions how it works how it put people against each other and reshape the hierarchy for the interests of the ruling class and make a lot of money for the people who already have money. And right. right. <clears throat> no, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things again with with um you know, having these these arguments with leftists, um, official, you know, leftist writers, columnists, commentators, uh, who who uh seem to to you know, I mean, they are completely identifying with uh, mm. the government narrative, and 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 they're, it, it's it's a total capitulation, and and it's baffling on on several levels. But but um, but but that has been, you know, there has been this lurching to the right in general of Western society over the last forty years, and and it's it's reaching. Um, it's reaching a, a critical point, obviously, with this. I, I'm curious what what the you know what we're what it's going to look like in another couple of years. I mean, how and how this will actually be enforced. Um, I mean, what I mean, people can be fined. A lot of people can't pay the fines. What happens then? You're going to send them to jail. There's something counterintuitive about that. Uh, but but anything is possible. I mean, they're gonna, clearly going to build internment camps. Um, columnists, leftists like Paul Street, for example, um, latent psychopath apparently, um, is advocating for internment sites. Anyway, Johan, yeah, sure, uh, yeah, and <clears throat> I mean, you all, we 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 can say that the narrative is collapsing or is shaking in its in its foundations to some extent. But but that that also that's. Uh, something that follows class lines uh, to a, to a high high degree, I think, and, and I mean actual class lines, not whether you identify as left or right. Uh, I, I was thinking about this this uh, idea of a, like how we have a nascent honor society on our hands. But when I I got this Facebook notice popping up, and there was this uh, this actually very brilliant colleague of mine. 
who announced their their happy feelings in relation to being now fully vaccinated but but there was also this this game of thrones ish reference to house pfizer win or lose so i mean there's some kind of irony here but it's nonetheless framed as this oath of fealty to, to a pharmaceutical company, which is also reflected in this actual act, act of acquiescence and the reported feelings of elation. And I think this is, this is really interesting to look at because it, it kind of reflected the, these um, honor structures, I, I think, seeing emerging along class lines and in, in relation to to these narratives and the, the erosion of rational thought. Anyway, um, Corey, yeah, just wanted to mention a couple more crazy things. Um, Spencer Latu on Twitter, he has a post up in Canada again. Uh, there's a band called the Arkells, I've never heard of them, but whatever. They, I guess, they have um, Twitter account, they did an outdoor venue, and they have right on their Twitter account, loudest cheer of the night. Who here is fully vaccinated? And then they have um, side effects of piano solo from a novelty side that scene syringe and right on. And then they have footage and it has people on stage getting vaccine injections. Wow. Actually, actually insane. And then um, Spencer states that the band has the UN Sustainable Development logo as their (laughs) album. Um, yeah, you're breaking up a little, Corey. Oh, sorry. The the UN on their latest album cover, it's the UN Sustainable Development Goals logo. I mean, that's yeah, emerging well, markets, right? That seems yeah. the emerging market. So anyway, it's just um, well, one of the things one of the things I when I was researching today, I was looking at the history. I read my blog post, but that that um, as uh, uh, in in the late 1800s. Um, there was self-employment um, amounted to 67% of Americans were, were self-employed. Um, and then that dropped drastically over the next sort of, you know, um, 30 or 40 years down to about, about 30% um, after the, the First World War. Today, it's 6%. Um, and, but what happened when that drop from 60 to 30 percent when when you know traditional um you know agricultural households people were dissolving people were moving to the city there was a, a new kind of labor force and factories and and um and people men left their house to go to work in the morning um, th- that was accompanied by a rise of fraternal lodges. It was the beginning of the f- sort of the Freemasons and, and, you know, the, the, all the, and there's like 50 of them. Um, it was also the birth of the Boy Scouts. It, it was, it was some need for men to um, subject themselves to initiation into, you know, an elect special group. And on, on some level now with, with 6% self-employment and a lot of other things, massive unemployment, we're seeing that with COVID. I mean, I think that's part of what's happening is, is that, that this is being treated as, a, as a, it's happening on some meta level, but we're, we're seeing 
the 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 vaccination protocols are initiation right of some sort and and um it it is probably testimony to the the kind of masculinity panic that that western culture has we have falling birth rates we have um you know i mean the the number of people on antidepressants 37 million americans take antidepressants uh you know it's not a happy society it's a lost drifting alienated culture and um and covid is providing meaning on some metaphorical level and i go into this in much more detail in the blog but but i think all of this points toward that it that it has become ritualized it's 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 now has as hiroyuki noted i mean it has just absolutely nothing to do with health anymore at all um because we're still stuck at one percent you know one percent mortality Australia's locked down because they have one or two deaths. You know, they have a jillion positive test results and we know the test is unreliable, um, but only one or two deaths. New Zealand, I think, as Varun was mentioning before we started recording, it's just they have just like no deaths, you know, but a bunch of cases. Um, one, one case. One case. One case. OK. Yeah. Who was probably 112 years old. But, you know, what do I know? Um, yeah, I. I mean, so I, it's operating on some symbolic, you know, metaphorical level now. There is, there is um, uh, uh, an, an unconscious sort of identification that this is serving to provide. And we, we've talked about this before. I mean, it's serving to provide a kind of meaning for people. Um, and I see it with people I knew in Los Angeles. Um, theater artists, poets, musicians, you know, and they're all on social media wearing masks and proudly announcing their vaccination and that they're holding concerts or readings or, you know, whatever. Um, in, but that we're, you know, we're doing it with, with making sure that everybody will be safe, meaning everybody has to be vaccinated. And um, this is what has become of the counterculture. You know, there is no counterculture. Um, Corey, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to sort of build on that a bit and call attention to something I think is quite important um, about the, basically about the students um, in, in Sydney, Australia. Um, you've got, it's, it's, you know, being shared quite a bit on Twitter right now. You've got 24,000 um, students being um, bused to, um, a huge arena there and getting the sh these um, injections. These are young, healthy children. If you go, I, I actually saw on the Ontario, what's it called? The Ontario Doctors Twitter account, which is a good, um, group of doctors in Ontario um, pushing back against this false narrative. Um, they had a quote there, um, children should not be vaccinated for the moment. This is from the WHO. There's not enough evidence on the use of vaccines against COVID-19 in children to make recommendations for children to be vaccinated against COVID-19. So I, I wasn't aware of that. So I went to the link to the WHO website and it wasn't there anymore. It had been changed. So I went back and I figured out the day it was changed. It was changed on June 23rd, 2021. Now it reads differently. Um, just one mm. sec, sorry. Um, that reads differently, and it says that um, 
more evidence is needed on use of different COVID-19 vaccines in children and um, in order to be able to make general recommendations on vaccinating children. And then it goes on to say, children aged between 12 and 15 who are at high risk may be offered this vaccine along other priority groups. Um, so now it's, it's changed it to say children who are at higher risk um, or severe risk. And you can bet that these 24,000 students are, are neither of those things, high risk or severe risk of COVID-19. Right, right. It's just um, mind-boggling. No, it, it is mind-boggling. I mean, it, it's, it's astonishing. But, but, you know, the problem with, with the government's narrative and, and the WHO and CDC's narrative, World Health Organization, CDC's narrative from the beginning was that children were statistically immune. It wasn't hurting children. And uh, there was enough resistance uh, to, to the idea of, of restricting children, shutting schools down. This bothered enough people that I suspected there was going to be some way that um, one of the variants or, you know, something down the road was going to pose a threat to children because that's kind of the last bastion of, of um, you know, uh, self-righteous moralism, uh, you know, resides with people protecting their children, except, you know, we're not really seeing that. They're, they're allowing children to be vaccinated. But look, there's the other thing is, and if people want to comment on this, it would, you may be more up to date than I am. I keep reading that, there have been a lot of deaths and enormous numbers um, of of adverse side effects to to the vaccinations. Um, and, you know, there are multiple sources speaking to this. Uh, obviously, it's not on CNN or MSNBC or anything, but uh, and it would stand to reason that it would be buried. But I, you know, again, this is this is where it's very hard to know what to say um, because this stuff is being suppressed. This information is being suppressed. And, um, you know, uh, you, one is left to just sort of um, speculate and, and, and try to, to keep abreast of, of the few people out there that are um, that are looking into into the facts. But. Um, but it is clearly, there is clearly an agenda in play. We're, you know, I, we're talking about a virus with 1% mortality. Um, and yet everybody is desperate to have 100% vaccination. It makes no sense whatsoever, even within their own logic, by their own terms, it makes no sense. And so, you know. Okay, I'll turn it over to somebody else. Varun Hiroyuki, maybe? Uh, there's also um, these few stories which were uh, which surfaced and then were buried very quickly was that Cyline solution was also being administered. And so you have the cycle of confusion within the public that's created, right? Like, and that's a, it's a natural cycle. Then people are pitted against each other because of that. They don't know they're in the control groups. And so right. a lot of people are saying that there's nothing wrong with the vaccine, obviously, because they got the saline solutions. But yeah, so um, I just, I looked up the numbers and it, it, it's apparently um, the vaccination drive in India has so far administered 554 million doses. Wow. 
giving at least one dose to about 46% of the estimated 944 million adults. And as of 4th of August, which was two weeks ago, uh, the COVID vaccine for children in the next two weeks. So basically it's over now, essentially. Uh, it's been seen as the key to break the chain of transmission, the children's vaccine. And uh, yeah. The, the thing with India, I think, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, go ahead. Please, 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 go ahead. India, it's not so much the state that is going to um, coerce it. It's going to be the private companies where people are people are working. They will make it mandatory. Right? Like, so it's not even necessary for the club to tell me that they want to see a vaccination certificate from me as long as their uh, staff are vaccinated. And so that's the kind of psychology that it works with is that because most people are in the service industry, right? And if they, they're going to get, I mean, the Uber drivers and these delivery guys, all of them on their apps are now being asked to update their vaccine vaccination status mm. without which they cannot work anymore. They won't be able to earn their commissions. They can't go to work. They can't whatever. And then it just goes on and on. And then, of course, there is the class aspect in the sense that people who have hired, let's say, drivers or guards or gardeners or nurses at home, cooks, they are being they are being coerced by people who have hired them to go and get the vaccinations. Also, right. okay. so out of choice, most of these people would not have gotten the shots, but because they are forced mm. one way or another whether by the corporation or the bank or somebody who's hired them, they inevitably end up standing in a team and getting the show. Right. No, I think that's a, that's an enormous factor in this. Mm -hmm. um, there's something else too, that, that we can talk about a little bit. Uh, and, and that has to do with uh, the travel restrictions because which change daily and which are impossible to, to keep track of. And, and you, because one would have to update uh, the information almost hourly. It literally changes all the time. What countries are allowing people in, what countries are not countries that like what Norway, you know, Norway will allow citizens to go to certain countries and not other countries, <clears throat> but it changes all the time. So people are afraid of going somewhere and, you know, they go to the Canary Islands for vacation and suddenly Canary Islands becomes red. And that means they will be quarantined when they return. And that's a, a huge cost. And if they have children, it's even worse. So essentially people aren't traveling. And so what is happening is in, in the developing world, there's, a, you know, a huge number of countries that are dependent um, on tourism and that tourism is being killed so there there is a you know an outsized punishment there uh it's not going to affect germany so much but it will affect the maldives or or tunisia or um any you know costa rica places that people go for vacations uh are being hit very hard economically and so there is a there is an agenda there as well it is there is um what the long-term plan is i don't know but 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 
there are designated countries that are suffering from the travel restrictions far more than first world countries. And uh, there's something curious in all of that, beside the fact that I'm astonished personally that, that there has not been more dissent about that specific um, set of rules, that, that, there is, that people are not much more upset about being told they can't leave their own country. And in the United States, Biden floated the idea of, well, you might need a vaccine passport to travel from state to state. And, I, you know, this, this, if you told me this two years ago, that anything of this sort were going to happen, I would say, no, that's crazy. This is impossible. It's absolutely impossible that this, this would happen. Um, the, 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 no, the, no government would try to do that. There would be too much uproar. And yet, and yet they are. Um, uh, Corey, Johan, one of you? Uh, Corey was the first in line, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, the whole global fourth industrial revolution architecture is built on the back of, built on the back of the working class, the peasantry in the global south. You know, so um, more of the same. It's an, an imperialist project. And I just wanted to um, say a good word about Pfizer, who cares so much about our health. Um, just how they, um, there is a great report out about how Pfizer was demanding Argentina put its bank reserves, its military bases, and its embassy buildings up as collateral. And that wow. <laughs> basically, it, it, it's asking for the sovereignty of, you know, these small sovereign states to secure vaccines, you know, on top of being exempted from all liability. And, and I mean, again, just it, it gives you a clearer picture, you know, of what the system is and what this is going forward. Again, not about your health. Johan. Um, I think it's uh, it's interesting that you're you're diving into insanity as a concept, and I'm looking forward to read that post. Uh, but I, I just to, to say a few words on that, I would say that insanity necessarily refers to some some norm for sanity or, or normal form of consciousness, and and if we're not relativists, which I hope we're not, we can then assume that there's a normal operation of the human organism's mind that's beneficial for its well-being or something. And then I think it seems plausible to say that independent rational thought, which anchors the person in actual reality, is something like the baseline for, for what sanity is. And then this, this emergence of a culture of, of honor, which I'm now speaking about, where authority has begun to actually supplant reason, well, that would be quite close to what would you call it, what you'd call insanity. And if you add to this the, the contemporary framework where technology and, and brand relations are often felt to be more real than actual human relationships, something I think especially holds for this economic middle class and the, the managerial elite, which almost all intellectuals in the West belong to. I, I think there's a diagnosis to be made here somewhere. Absolutely. No, and I think, I think that's really important. And um, one of the things I talk about in the blog post is, and but we've talked about it before, I have written about it before, the, this level of unreality that people uh, increasingly experience the world symbolically and metaphorically, and there was an ever greater distance from a 
a direct experience of things. And of course, screen habituation, you know, this addiction to, to, you know, various social media platforms and just in general electronic media has, has accelerated this, this distancing, I think a, a great deal. And, uh, and it, it accounts for, I don't think you can stay particularly sane and, you know, we can quibble about what that is, but again, 37 million Americans on antidepressants, uh, mm. enormous spikes in clinical depression, um, schizophrenia, especially bipolar borderline, um, disorder. Um, and, and, uh, this was noted, you know, back in the 70s, Andre Green and different psychoanalysts wrote about um, uh, this, this level of unreality, the borderline concept. And, and I think we are in the late stages of this, uh, that, that for, but it's a class question again, too, of course. Um, but, but people, people are in the grip of a sort of metaphorical existence that's not real. Mm -hmm. There is this, there is this acute sense of, um, of, of searching for, uh, and, and you see it. I mean, it's talked about searching for authenticity, people looking to ground their identity in something that has meaning, but, but finding that very difficult to do. Um, and so that anxiety is an acutely anxious society right now, uh, the, if we're speaking of the U.S., but the U.K. too and, and most of Europe. But the U.S. is probably, you know, off the charts in terms of that. And, and uh, uh, the, the treatment is, to, is, to, is sort of to suppress the symptoms somehow by, by dulling um, the experiential uh, content of of daily life and uh that's one of the the one of the few explanations i have for this curious docility among mm. kind of the hot bourgeoisie i mean they aren't you know and i know a lot of these people they're not directly affected by any of this it's a movie they're watching yeah. Um, and, and the people that have to go out into the world every day and work with their hands, if they're gardeners or, or construction workers or truck drivers or what, these are the people on the streets protesting because, um, they, that's their life is, has been absolutely, uh, disrupted and they're being personally terrorized essentially by, by these new decrees and, uh, you know, it's, but it's, but it, but I remain, I remain aghast. I mean, it's breathtaking to me to read support for this stuff. I, it's hard for me to imagine this level of compliance among that certain demographic. And this, this is a very visible demographic, of course, right? This is the demographic you see in media as the demographic, the influencers and celebrities um, belong to this demographic. These, these are the people that um, <clears throat> would be very happy if this stuff became permanent, which clearly on some level is the goal, I think. So, um, all right. Uh, who is, uh, Hiroyuki, you have anything? Well, I might add something about the uh, uh, bands, uh, uh, musicians, um, 
uh, artist as well, uh, going along with the um, uh, draconian measures and uh, posting about uh, wearing masks and getting vaccinated. And uh, um, th this is really, uh, uh, I can feel uh, the, um, uh, emotion. <laughs> I, it really upsets me, you know, because uh, I can feel uh, the fact that there is uh, um, forces uh, surrounding um, artists, musicians, um, because because you know art can put people on the same ground and um, uh, appreciating profoundness of art, profoundness of our life. You know, right. so it, it clearly shows that life is more important than the capitalist framework. So there's an inherent strength in art and music mm -hmm. and something we strongly feel about. So it, it's being colonized. It's being taken away from us. You know, it's it's really... I, I it, it, it's 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 uh, I can't stand it. It's it's um, <laughs> very difficult. No, I know, I know. I feel it, and I think back. I think the people I came up with in in theater. This is back in the seventies. Um, I got to New York in seventy one, I think, for the first time, and and that was my introduction to you know the avant garde. Those people that I came up with. I can something like this happen. They would be they would be in the street. They would be it's like, fuck you. I don't have to have a passport. I mean, there would just be an instinctive rejection of this kind of, of you know, abuse of authority. It, it, it would be instantaneous. It would be mm -hmm. reflexive and instinctual because because they didn't trust the man. I mean, that's what drove the 60s, the anti-war movement, civil rights movement. Um, that everybody distrusted authority. They knew that that the authority apparatus lies all the time. That is what they do. That is what they are there to do. And so you are not to trust them and, and, and you resist. And I remember when, when the Vietnam war was on, I, I, you know, there was a lottery and, I was a draft when I got out of high school it was 1969 and um, they, the war had just escalated and my name came up and my number, my birthday fell within the first, you know, third of the, of the calendar. So I was going, I was going to go, I would be drafted. And so I had to find a doctor to write, um, you know, a, a, a an excuse for me not to go say I was sick. I was something. And I, I, I went and was counseled by um, the women against the war was mothers against, against the Vietnam war. And they were wonderful. And uh, these were just housewives that had teenage sons and they went and helped and they were terrifically organized in every big city in the United States. And there were other groups as well, peace groups, and they helped, those of us who didn't want to go. And I ended up getting a letter from a doctor who said I was, you know, um, firstly homosexual, um, a chronic bedwetter, resistant to authority, and I had severe stomach problems. So I didn't even have to go in. They sent me a 4F in the mail. Um, but I can't imagine that today, you know? 
I, I can't imagine that level of organized resistance um, at all. I don't see it anywhere. Um, Corey, yeah. Domesticated. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There is no counterculture. There's no avant-garde. Um, and, and I was going to uh, say, yeah. <laughs> I have to uh, black and white photo. It's decades old. It's of Bob Hunter, one of the original co-founders of Greenpeace. And he's sitting in, uh, you can tell he's sitting in some sort of meeting, probably a city council meeting. I don't know, maybe Vancouver back in the day. Um, anyway, he looks like he just rolled out of bed. He might even have a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. I can't remember, but he has a sign neck with magic marker. It says, fuck off. <laughs> great photo right and that is and now you've got and look at today now you've got Greenpeace sitting you know in bed with World Economic Forum you've got like shiny suits you've got um you know they helped create the We Mean Business Coalition which which has um what is it 24 trillion a market cap they they represent so I mean look what's look what has happened and that's that whole together campaign right right Well, I had a friend, um, screenwriter um, and musician, oddly enough, who, who once said um, he knew the 60s was dead when the Flying Burrito Brothers were uh, sponsoring a golf tournament. And and I always thought that was a, a reasonably um, inspired remark, because uh, that is what happened. You know, there was a concerted effort. The anti-war movement had a huge effect in stopping the war and that was not allowed to continue. So the government went out and murdered black Panthers because they were becoming far too influential and, uh, and squashed dissent. And, 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 you know, the, the extent of government subversion of the counterculture, that story has yet to be fully written. I don't think. Um, But, but we all knew it. I mean, we knew that, there were agent provocateurs everywhere and that 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 the government understood that something had to be done and that was to stop stop the counterculture and they did and they stopped it johan uh, just a question to to all of you i think i've i've asked it previously but and i also want to ask varun if, if he could recognize this what, what the situation with regard to the counterculture is in india but but how do you how do you rebuild it in this isolated, digitized, and colonized context where we have to have to communicate with these tech platforms, where we have to use Twitter to, to create an audience? How do you go about building these kinds of things today? I, I have no real, really good idea. Um, Can you, yeah, go on. Well, there was a bit of a surge of there. There is a regular surge of counterculture um, in places like Delhi, Bombay, Calcutta, big cities, and then you'll have people from um, big cities going to smaller towns and creating their own communities and art movements and using a lot of the cottage industry and then slowly it kind of falls back into the mainstream so it never really remains as counterculture it always becomes part of the mainstream culture and whether it's music or writing or 
any of that. I think generally the collective is looking for validation and the validation is never coming internally. It's never coming from the inside. And yeah. that's very problematic in that sense. And so it's very difficult to actually have a counterculture movement because the, the identity in general is either aspirational or it's now starting to form or fall into the, the, the really right-wing groups, essentially. So that, that, and I think that that's a very deliberate move of how it works and how empire really works is to create those kind of frictions, which are very necessary for it to stay afloat. Because right. if you can, you know, so yeah, that's, that's, I think that's basically how it's working here. Well, I think you, um, yeah, go, go ahead. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of, there's a lot of emulative culture. And that's very disturbing to watch, actually. It's emulative of uh, Hollywood it's, and kind of North American pop culture. Kind of right. Stuff. right. And, well, I, a deep sense of traditionalism, which is, which is kind of buried very deep behind all of that. So that creates a really nasty mixture of kind of a stagnancy that's really despondent honestly that's interesting um it is i i, I mean if you <clears throat> yeah i mean i think we could probably catalog all the all the mechanisms that have been utilized in in neutralizing you know counterculture radical voices i mean working class voices firstly working class voices of any sort were removed from media there's nobody in hollywood with a with a working class background uh and and certainly nobody who's socialist or or radical politically was going to be allowed a platform um and and but then you you look at this sort of insidious um appropriation of street culture organic culture i mean you saw it with the with the evolution of rap um, you know, which happened at a, at, uh, in a very, very quickly uh, in the blink of an eye. Uh, suddenly uh, the, the fashion houses were appropriating street mm. style. They were imitating how the kids dressed. Uh, the music was very quickly uh, being produced by white producers and packaged in a certain way. I mean, rap was being sold. Mostly the audience was white teenagers in the suburbs. Uh, <clears throat> and so the whole, the whole, the anger of that movement was very rapidly neutralized yeah. and fetishized. And, and, uh, uh, and, and there are versions of that dynamic in every every artistic medium you can think of in a sense, I think. Um, it just happened to be very dramatic in, in, in terms of, of, of rap. But uh, the homogenization of, of culture is, is the other factor. I mean, once upon a time, driving cross country, one of the joys of driving from Los Angeles to New York, for example, was that you would hear these various local radio stations. And it was, it was just 
you know, splendid stuff, you know, with with um, playing music from the region. The advertisers were local businesses, you know, Jim's Bail Bonds here and, you know, Chattanooga. Uh, and we're presenting the next hour of, you know, Grand Old Opry. Uh, and that's all gone. All the radio stations are owned by Clear Channel now, something like 98 percent of them. Uh, so you hear the same music. Uh, from one coast to the other. And what happened in music, if you go back and listen to music, country music from the 50s, 60s, um, maybe to the very front edges of the 70s, um, if you listen to blues in the 50s and 60s, um, uh, electric or country, uh, you would hear songs written that referred to specific places. You know, um, early Johnny Cash had a song about Baton Down and Baton Rouge. Um, but the producers quickly realized, no, you're going to appeal to a wider audience if you eliminate the word Baton Rouge and just put in a generic. It's a city. You know, I'm batting down in the city here. Everything became homogenized and banalized and inoffensive and indistinct. That that music you heard in the 50s and 60s, you could identify the region it came from. You could identify the accents of the performers. It was wonderful. It was one of the great, um, you know, national treasures of America, I think. And it's all gone totally. I mean, it's erased from the map now. Nothing of the sort exists. And that's what we're faced with, you know, I mean, this is, so this is, this is a huge part of, we're talking about COVID and this, this nightmarish new authoritarianism, but I think it would have been far less possible. It certainly would have not happened so quickly or so easily in that world of 40 years ago, in the culture of 40 or 50 years ago, just because, um, because of the heterogeneity of the whole country, you know, and and um, so you know, Clear Channel owns everything. Everything they, the system, the government wants in terms of propaganda is going to go out on Clear Channel. Um, who loves the government and gets subsidized by the government, and that's that, and and that's where we are. I mean, it really is um, an Aldous Huxley world, uh, you know. And I go back to, you know, my two favorite statistics, 1% mortality, 37 million Americans on antidepressants, which is a low ball figure, by the way. And um, maybe maybe we shouldn't be surprised. I don't know. I don't know. Um, all right. Uh, Corey, anything? I mean, it's just a it's a huge problem, right? Being reabsorbed back into the very system that we oppose over and over and over again. I mean, they groom, you know, they, they find the young kids that are interested and, you know, um, bright and have that, you know, you know, whatever that certain charisma or whatever. And they and they come with bags of money, you know, and they come and they invite you to you know, celebrity um, galas and all the rest of it. And, you know, especially when you're young, you don't really have that much knowledge yet. And, and today, um, unless you don't have the history, either of social movements or a history at all. And so they're really gullible that way. And so they get them right from inception, right? And that's the uplink, the new 
um, NGO, like actually now the corporations and on um, these huge institutions like World Economic Forum are cutting out the NGO and creating these NGOs um, themselves. Uplink is a creation, MasterCard, World Economic Forum, and um, Salesforce, and they come right after the kids. And, you know, they're gathering up, like they're creating, they're using, um, <clears throat> they're focusing and targeting the youth to um, obtain the social license that they require to keep going, right? Um, all of this requires social license. Without it, you get you know, you get that resistance, you get people, no, we're not going to take this anymore. No, you're not coming. You're not getting our kids. I mean, the Black Panthers would have never allowed the state to come in and inject an experimental vaccine into their communities, right. into their children. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. No, but that's a really great point and a great example. And, and it wouldn't have happened. Um, and, and that's why they had to be killed and sent to prison and driven into exile. Uh, uh, so, so I think the other factor before we have like final thoughts from everybody, the other factor here is, um, you know, is the erosion of education, uh, and literacy and, uh, you know, the, the, so many teens I know now do nothing except stare at their cell phones uh they're in the same room with each other and they stare at their cell phones um kids are having less sex uh the whole thing is there has we're in the third or fourth generation third certainly raised entirely with screen addictions and and it can't help but have had a really negative effect and and I think that um, we're we're seeing damaged psyches, and and uh, I you know I have no great solution to that, but I take some heart from the fact that that we are seeing massive protests against this stuff, and I guess we should remember that those protests are are invisible on media major outlets don't cover them so we don't even know the numbers of people protesting the numbers of people that are angry it's far greater than we would be led to believe there's no question about that but what the exact numbers are i don't know and i don't know if it matters uh that's what frightens me um because uh so many people i know right now are terrified that their job is going to demand they be vaccinated or they'll be fired. And uh, that's here in, in Norway. It hasn't come to that here. And I actually don't think it will. But um, uh, but certainly in the United States, uh, that, that fear is uh, palpable. Everybody I know uh, has some story, some version of it. And so we're, you know, we're living in the middle of this like extraordinary... Um, event where where this fear mongering is 24 7 constant constant outpouring of you know new threats the respiratory disease in the middle of summer um that has come out of nowhere and you know the disappearance of the flu magically uh from all over the world and and people want to make excuses for it people want to justify it and and yet none of the story makes sense. And I think, Corey, you're probably right in some sense that, that the narrative is, is, 
is very fragile right now. Um, and yet I, I worry it may not matter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. Final thoughts. Shiryuki, Johan, Varun, well, anybody? You know, I, I think the, the, the fragility of the, the narrative is uh, uh, by design. It, it's, huh. it's meant huh. to be uh, uh, uneasy, um, meant to be a suspect and uh, meant to be uh, there to confuse people and divide people. And uh, I think it's doing great job doing that. And uh, it's, it's really, um, uh, it's a painful thing to uh, experience uh, that by uh, our own uh, relationships uh, in the community, uh, on the social media, and uh, uh, I think we we have to do something about that. I, I try to address it in my writing, and uh, uh, I think you know many of us are doing it. But um, uh, th- that's something we should focus. You know, just, just to say that you know it's not we are not the enemies to each other. You know, yeah. the enemy is the system and those who are profiting from the mess. Absolutely. I think that's a, a kind of really brilliant insight, actually, too. The intentional confusion of the whole thing. Um, Johan. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that remark on the, the fragility is, is interesting because I feel that in this kind of context where where, where authority begins to supplanting a, a, an already disjointed and uprooted reason, you will then get a, a populist that's very tolerant of narrative shifts, uh, fragility notwithstanding, like this RSV now joining COVID or the climate change narrative resurfacing in the wake of COVID, just as long as the narrative shifts are imbued with the proper authority and endorsed by the society's uh, structure of, of the honor structure or hierarchy. And then people who you think you really should know better such as medical professionals accepting these nonsensical mask mandates, they will then be perfectly happy to switch to one set, uh, switch out one set of positions for another, because, and I think this is the main epistemic mechanism in place, because they mainly just operate with a decontextualized set of facts backed by authority, rather than recent conclusions that necessarily follow from given premises. And I think this explains self-identified left's acquiescence as well, because with regard to COVID, science with a capital S has spoken. Right. And I think um, trust the science as a marketing slogan was a bit of genius. Uh, So, Varun. Um, I have a note on the human nervous system, which I wrote in March which maybe I could just read a couple of lines. Yeah, yeah, please, please. Um, So yeah, the biological nervous system, the humans goes into one or a combination of four reactions when faced with overwhelming emotional, mental trauma and threat to life. These reactions are broadly defined as freeze, fawn, fight or flight. These actions of the nervous system seem to be largely automatic physical and mental stimuli dependent and seemingly not within the parameters of the everyday mind to control. Mm. The combination of fear and indecisiveness creates physical and mental stress and distress, resulting in the prolonged release of adrenaline and cortisol in the body, causing physical exhaustion and mental fatigue. 
what is interesting is how the spectrum of the nervous system response is divided in relation to what is happening internationally. It would seem that the freeze and fawn response is the mainstream side of things, overwhelmingly reactionary to the sense of impending loss, marked very strongly with a clear absence, and in many instances, the outright denial of logic and critical thinking, which a psychiatrist incidentally calls delusional psychosis. And then you have the fight and flight response, which is on the independent research and the quote-unquote conspiratorial side of things, Mm. addressing the extremely well-planned and precisely orchestrated restructuring of the industrial society by certain groups and individuals. And the mainstream calls this group delusionally psychotic. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So this subconscious drive to situation, action, reaction, the nervous system of the individual and the group has been entirely hijacked by empire or more importantly, maybe it always has belonged to empire. Widely, the three groups that have formed with regard to current narrative trajectory are those in favor, those not in favor, and those either on the fence or struggling to survive and likely to float on either side eventually, whether by decision or by coercion. The psychological divisionary tactic has worked extremely well, I think. Going further, we would arrive at the possibility of an international boycott of conglomerates and any behavior or biology modifying devices or mechanisms which can actually bring the control back to the group and the individual, essentially. But that, that, that would mean that we would need to start understanding how our nervous systems are reacting to the world at large. Experience and how powerful or weak the mind actually can be given the circumstances. No, that's great. Um, Any last thoughts? That's sort of a good conclusion to this. Um, Corey, do you have any final thought? Well, I just wanted to say at the same time that the passports were rolled out in New York City. They also announced um, that there will be a required booster shot now. And so you're (laughs) not useful until you get that. I mean, you know what I mean? You'll go to use it and you'll be told, oh, you're a booster. Yeah, it's an effective business model, huh? All right, guys. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a period that is um, increasingly intolerable. It's all very difficult, but um, I appreciate everybody here and that we get to do these podcasts. Um, it certainly helps keep me sane if that's what I am. <laughs> so, um, Hiroyuki, thank you, Varun, thank you. It's great that you um, could make it this time, having you back, Corey. As always, thank you, Johan. Um, and uh, as always, Jack Lippman in Los Angeles. Thanks, Jack. And uh, this will be up soon. Okay, guys. Thank you, John. Take care. Thank Thanks. You, John.